God, I thank you for the words of, of the prophet Isaiah that says that when the Messiah comes, that a bruised reed you won't break. So I pray for all of us in this room today who are bruised and hurting. I thank you for these stories that we get to remember today of you the ways that you moved into the lives of bruised and hurting people. Raise them up. Lift it up their head. Lord, I pray that the, that the words that are spoken today by me through your word would be words that are not mine, but are words from you to your people. That they would challenge and convict especially those of us who have become apathetic and cold toward you. Of those who are hurting and grieving, that it would be, that these would be words of, of comfort and peace. And restore joy. Restore hope for, for what you have for us as a, as a community. And that the great gift that you have given in calling us to relationships with you and with each other. So restore, restore our joy with you today. And I pray these things in Jesus, our joy. Amen. I just want to remind us as we begin what we've been doing uh, the last couple of weeks in this sermon series on being rescued from the dominion of darkness and being brought into the kingdom of the Son He loves. I've been trying to do these four things each week. Uh, to first, to, to name the longings of our hearts that are, are being frustrated, uh, in particular longings that are being frustrated now because of the, the situation that we're in, um, in, in our culture and the pandemic situation and, and racial tensions and all the things that are going on in 2020, um, just to name some of those longings that are being frustrated right now, to talk about the, the tactics of our enemy, to try to fill up those longings with things that are other than Christ, things that we're in other than what will give us uh, real hope and what will really fulfill those longings. To remind us of the gospel, of where victory is found, and then to give each of us some tactics for the battle. Uh, some things that we can do, some, some things we can actually put into practice this week uh, to, to fight this battle and to experience the, the longing that God has for us. And the longing that we're talking about today is the longing for relationship. The longing for relationship. All of us have a longing in our heart to be in relationship with others, with God and with other people. Um, in Genesis 2, it says that it's not good for people to be alone. And when I was planning this series a, you know, a month or so ago, I, I wasn't planning to recognize that each of these longings that we're talking about, they're all talked about right there in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. That these longings are all God given to us in the very beginning. And the longings that are fulfilled in relationship with Him and in right relationship with other people. There is this longing and a need for us for relationship. Before the fall of humanity, before Adam and Eve sinned and chose to disobey God, there was one thing that wasn't good. Human loneliness. That was the one thing that wasn't good even before sin entered the world. And no doubt all of us have days and seasons where we feel alone and isolated from other people. That's part of the human experience. 
We know also that there are others in our lives, others in our world, our neighbors, who experience this chronic loneliness. People who suffer from depression or other mental health issues. Seniors who rarely or never get visits from friends or family. You can probably think of someone in your life, a neighbor, a co-worker, a friend, a family member who you imagine or you know is deeply lonely. And all of that loneliness has just been magnified during this, during this season in the last six or seven months. And this experience of loneliness has actually become an epidemic. Uh, research has shown the health, the physical health impacts of loneliness. There was one study that suggested that people who feel chronically lonely not only report by greater mental health problems day to day, but that loneliness is associated with a shorter lifespan. Studies suggest that people who are chronically lonely, that it's as bad for you as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's the correlation between the two. And here at Broadway, we've talked, talked many times um, as we talk about mental health, um, about how we're called as God's people to move into the lives of others around us who may be lonely. It's part of our calling as a human community to take notice of others and to come close to them in the same way that Jesus did for so many people who were lonely. I'll have my own little remember that stories right now. Remember that time when Matthew, surrounded by all of his money in his tax collector booth but had no people around, and Jesus said, come and follow me. You remember that? Or that woman who was wandering toward a well all alone in the heat of the day. And Jesus met her in her loneliness. Do you, do you remember that? Or there was blind Bartimaeus sitting along the roadside. And he heard that the Messiah was coming by. And Jesus met him in his blindness and in his aloneness. It was Zacchaeus, perched up in a sycamore tree, all alone. Do you remember that? Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he Jesus took notice of the lonely. And if you're lonely today, if you remember and hear nothing else, remember that Jesus saw and he remembered the lonely. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 is our main text today. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Would you just read that out loud for me? Especially if you have NIV, let's just read this out loud together. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. 
you've been rescued from the dominion of darkness. The loneliness is a part of the dominion of darkness. And the Bible is clear that there is a dominion of darkness, and that dominion has a ruler. The Bible calls him the devil or Satan, our enemy. And your enemy, the devil, wants, wants you to be lonely and isolated. He does and will use every tool available to him to keep you apart from other people. The enemy wants to divide us. And the enemy will use anything and everything to break relationship, to divide us and to keep us isolated from one another. This is the enemy's tactic number one, to divide the church. I want to read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and read it out loud. You can go find it if you'd like. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Paul writes this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It is the work of God to bring us together in unity. And it's an expression of the gospel when we live out that end, when we make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And as we're talking about relationships right now and our longing for relationships, I, I really wrestled with this this weekend and prayed a lot about it and asked the elders to pray with me about this. And I just feel like I need to kind of address maybe a possible elephant in our room that our church is small enough that no doubt you know of a person or two or more who right now is frustrated or disappointed or angry or hurt by decisions that our leaders have made. And that some people have already decided to, to leave Broadway or are considering leaving Broadway. And I just want to name that out there so that there's not gossip going around. That's true. The elders are aware of about 10 to 12 people in our church who are frustrated or hurt. And our elders are in the process of responding to them and to reaching out to them and to see if there can be a meeting of the minds and reconciliation. I just wanted to say that to you as your pastor. This is, a, uh, this is one of the things in the last month that God has lifted my load about. Um, this pastor's heart hurts when people wander away. It's like you do But God has lifted that load. He's reminded me that these people belong to the good shepherd. They don't belong to me. And so, what I'm asking for from you and with you, what I can invite you to do is to join our elders as we fast and pray for unity together. Most of us are doing that on Tuesdays in one way or another. Between now and the time that this pandemic situation is over, whenever that is, and we'll call the fast over whenever that is, but I invite you to do that. Fast from something, whether it be food or some other thing, on Tuesday or some other day of the week, and join us in praying for unity in our church. Pray for unity in our church and reconciliation wherever it's possible.
Pray for relationships, um, marriages. Pray for friendships in our in our church that are strained right now. Disruptive times like this have a have a way of anywhere that there was like a fissure in the relationship that has a way of breaking those things wide open. And that's what's happening now. And so we just want us to pray that the enemy would have no place in your head. Maybe very clear. I'm not saying that these people are like just following the enemy. It's not what's going on here. I just want to be clear about that. There are reconciliation and peace and, and unity always require all parties to be involved in um, But let's pray that the enemy would have no purpose that we together would be in the life together. Would you join me in praying for that right now? Lord, we ask for unity in your church. We believe that you've called us to it. We believe that the unity that we have is actually something that you have created and not that we create. It's something that you have given and it already exists, that I am already seated with Christ in the heavenly places along with every brother and sister in Christ that are here right now or that is not with us. We are right now mysteriously seated, unified together in the heavenly places. And so, Lord, we ask that here in this church that that unity that you have already created in us will be manifest more and more. We pray for those in our church who are who are hurting, who are disappointed, or discouraged because of decisions that we have made, but we ask for a spirit of reconciliation and forgiveness. We pray for open minds and ears from uh, from me and from our staff and from our leaders. We pray for your peace to reign here. And I pray in Christ's name. Practice number one to divide the church. Practice number two, a little bit more lighthearted for a minute, is that he seeks to substitute connectivity for relationship. There is a high level of connectivity that we have in our culture because of our technology, because of the social media and the internet and our phones. We have this opportunity to be connected with, to have connectivity with thousands of people. I get to have some kind of ongoing connection with friends from high school and college and seminary that would have never been possible, like, what, 20, 25 years ago. Would have never been possible. But now I get to see pictures of their kids. It's a great thing to have this connection. But it isn't the same thing as relationships. Having connectivity in these ways does not fill up this God-given longing that we have for relationship. And in fact, there is growing evidence that there is, that the more superficial online connections that you have with lots of people, the more lonely that you'll feel. There's evidence that there's a direct correlation between the amount of time that someone spends on social media and feelings of loneliness. <laughs> How ironic is that? This ability that we have right now to see images and updates from all these people in our social media feed actually makes us feel more lonely than connected with other people. And it's also disorienting. Within seconds of scrolling through my feed, I can see pictures of my parents with their new puppy, my college buddy cheering for his NBA team, 
a long-lost friend that I haven't talked to in years announcing that his mother has died, and then a wacky cousin with his political rant. Like, all in, like, seconds, and I'm somehow supposed to, like, figure out what to do about all of that information. Speaking about my parents and their new puppy. Oh. Oh, there it go. Oh, that was cruel. That was cruel. I don't know what happened. It was on there, but anyway, must not have supposed to see it. The threat tactic of the enemy did not let us have that moment together. Anyway, all of this is so disorienting, and because of that, it actually makes us feel a lack of connection with other people. Because this long lost friend of mine who just lost his mom. I'm supposed to feel this connection with them. But I've just seen my buddy like rooting for the Houston Rockets. And it's right there next to one another. We can't, we, we don't have the capacity to organize all of that in our hearts and minds. And so it makes us feel less connected. And so this connectivity that we have gets substituted for relationship and we just end up feeling sad and empty. So, don't substitute. Oh man, I know why it's not working. It's the wrong one. Okay, here we go. I mean, isn't that cute? That's cute. All right. Tactic number three the enemy wants to use your dreams and ideals about the church to keep you from the church. All of us have these ideals about what the church should be. And when the church falls short of those ideals, it can be a very painful thing. I have these uh, four other friends. There's five of us that we all met when we, we lived in Vancouver. And uh, my wife was in graduate school, and these other four guys were in graduate school there in Vancouver together. And we just became very close and tight knit. And when you're in, um, in seminary and learning about the church, you learn about all the ideals of the church. You know, you learn about all, in history all of these great men and women who, who lived out and, and taught about these ideals of the church. And so you get in your mind all of these ideals. And then when you go out into the church, you realize that those ideals probably aren't going to be lived out among them. And so you get very frustrated. And so our life together with these, with these brothers of mine over the last 15 years has been us wrestling through this tension between these ideals that we know that God has called us to, that have been lived out in history in one way or another, and the realities that we live in. And it's been painful for all five of us along the way to have God steal those ideals from us. It's also been a grace. It's been a great mercy for Him to steal those things because now we look around and we see it's not the ideal people that God has given to us. Ideals shouldn't be ignored. I'm not advocating tolerance or like sloppy doctrine or enduring poor leadership or turning the blind eye to bad things that are going on in the church. Scripture offers ideals to us about what the church should be and we don't throw them out. The problem is the problem is, is when in our heart we demand that the church realize those ideals right now. And that when they don't, we bail, or we get bitter, 
or we gossip rather than dealing with those things in a Christ-like way. I'm going to read to you my, my buddy, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, real surprise. This is kind of going to be a long quote from his book, Life Together. And I just encourage you to, to settle in and, and listen. It's, these words changed my life some ten years ago. Innumerable, innumerable times, a whole Christian community has broken down because it had sprung up from a wish dream. The serious Christian set down for the first time in a Christian community is likely to bring with him a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be, and he tries to realize it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate, with our own selves. The sooner that the shock or disillusionment comes to an individual and to the community, the better for both. A community which cannot bear and cannot survive such a crisis, which insists upon keeping up its illusion when it should be shattered, permanently loses in that moment the promise of real Christian community. Sooner or later, it will collapse. Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. And here's the lines that convicted me and changed my life. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the community even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself will become a destroyer of the community. Why? God hates visionary dreaming. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God and by others and by himself. He enters into the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own law, and judges that the brothers and God himself should be judged accordingly. He stands adamant, a living reproach to all others in the circle of the brothers. He acts as if he is the center of the Christian community, as if his dream binds them together. When things do not go his way, he calls the effort a failure. When his ideal picture is destroyed, he sees the community going to smash. So he becomes first an accuser of his brothers, then an accuser of God, and finally the despairing accuser of himself. So here's what we should do. Because God has already laid the only foundation of our fellowship, in the heavenly places already. 
Because God has bound us together in one body with other Christians in Jesus Christ long before we entered the common life together. We enter into that common life not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. I've been in pastoral ministry for over 16 years, and I have watched the truth of this over and over again, mostly in my own life. I have a wonderful plan for your life, Broadway. I love you, and I have a wonderful plan. When I think back especially at my time in Vancouver, I started there as senior pastor when I was 26 years old, and I know that God did some good things there, but as I look back, I know that my ideals and my dreams hurt that team. Friends, the church is always, always, always going to fall short of your dream for her. The church will fall short of caring for you in the way that we should. Your needs are going to fall through the cracks. The church is never going to be as rich as it should be. The pastor's sermon is never going to be as good as it could be. The music is going to be too loud or too fast or too soft or too slow. Your small group, your small group is going to be kind of boring sometimes. And it's going to be filled with painfully normal and unexciting people. The church is not always going to pursue the causes that you think that the church should pursue. There will always likely be some doctrinal point that you disagree with or that some other teacher in your church has that will annoy you. And so the question will be, is when you come up against those things, will you love the people in front of you more than your ideal? Your dream of the church. Will you receive the person that God has given to you as a gift, or will you receive them only if he or she lives up to your ideal? The enemy will gladly allow your ideals and dreams to make you disappointed and angry and bitter at the community. The enemy will gladly use that to isolate you and to keep you from community. You know where you can find um, the perfect ideal community here on Earth? It's the same place you go to find the unicorns. They're out riding unicorns right now. To love your dream of the church more than the broken and stumbling and fumbling and broken person right next to you is a cruel thing. And it is the most subtle and damaging sin in the American church. It reflects a deep selfishness in us. It reflects how much we have been discipled by consumerism rather than by Jesus. It's a reflection of the idea that you and your needs and your wants stand at the center of the universe and of the church. Don't let your ideals and your dreams of what the church can and should be keep you from the actual community that is right here. In all of our failings and brokenness and bad ideas and whatever else it may be, don't let that keep you from the real community that's possible here. The last tactic of the enemy that I want to talk about today is convincing us that we set the terms for our relationship with God. This is related, I think, in our posture, in our minds, in our hearts, and the ways we're shaped by our culture. 
um, to the one previous to it, only it has to do with the terms of our relationship with God rather than just our relationship with other people. This is a lie that we can be in relationship with God without living for Him, without obedience to Him, that we can be in relationship with God without repentance. In the last 15 to 20 years, there's been an emphasis, I think rightly so, in the American church about the importance of knowing and experiencing God's love. And on balance, I think that that is a really good thing, and it's been a good and necessary word for our moment. But the dark shadow side of that is that we turn God into a fool. Said, okay, I guess I'll love you. <laughs> you know, even if you do whatever and screw up your life, I just love you. I'm, I'm God, I gotta love you. Not the way God is. God's love for you is unconditional. Being in relationship with Him has all sorts of conditions. Enjoying the benefits of His love. Enjoying friendship with God has all sorts of conditions. I love all four of my kids. There is nothing that any one of them could ever do to make me stop loving them. But there are all sorts of things that they can do to keep us from enjoying a relationship together. There has to be actions and attitudes from them and from me too that are fitting for that relationship to work and to thrive. And if those actions and those attitudes that are fitting for that relationship between parent and child are absent, that relationship is broken even if my love for them remains. The father of the prodigal son never stopped loving his son loved him deeply, was watching, waiting for him to come home, ready to run to him. But in order for the son to be in relationship with the father, he had to come home. He had to repent and to turn around and to come back to the father so that he could enjoy that relationship. The father's love was always there, always available for him. That relationship was always ready. He was ready to run to him. The son had to turn around and come home. In our passage today, Colossians 1, a little bit further uh, down the page, verses 21 through 23, Paul writes, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Amen. Good news. What's the next word? If. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Listen, I'm not giving into once saved, always saved, Calvinism, Arminian. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about these conditions of enjoying a relationship with the Father. There's a condition here that if we stand firm and don't move from the faith, then we will enjoy this relationship that's offered to us. And the proper kinds of attitudes and actions that are fitting for this relationship is for us to admit and confess that the terms of the relationship aren't mine to give. They're His. 
that He sets the terms of the relationship. And our responsibility then is to rightly order our lives and our minds and our hearts toward the terms of that relationship that He tells us clearly in His Word. So friends, here is the good news that I want to remind us of today. The God-given longing in your heart for relationship is a longing that finds its goal and its completion in relationship with God. That's what it was put there for, that longing, that ache that you may be experiencing right now. And whatever shortcomings that you're feeling because of our cultural situation or because of relationships in your life right now, that longing that's there, that gap, that emptiness, that hole, it's there as He is calling you into relationship with Him. He put that longing there in you. And we, we break the relationship, not Him. And even though we broke the relationship, He has done all the work that is necessary to mend that relationship. Now, He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. He went to the cross that we may be reconciled in this way. So that his relationship can be mended. It was through him taking on our flesh and coming near to us and dying for us. We broke the relationship and he did everything necessary to fix it by his death. We can now be brought into relationship with him if we receive that by faith. And so we will not only be loved by a God who is at home and waiting for us, but loved by a God in his home with him, together with him. One of the gifts that God is giving to me in 2020, in this year, is that He's teaching me to learn to be His friend. Friendship with God. This is a, a wonderful theme throughout the Bible of certain people who are called friends of God. And I'm trying to learn this year what it means for me. And there's this passage in John chapter 15 where Jesus invites His disciples to be His friends. He says, come and be my friend. But then he says this strange thing. He says, you are my friends if you obey my commands. Which sounds a little bit like the ten-year-old bully who says, you know, I'll be your friend if you do what I say. But it's not like that because he's Lord of the universe. <laughs> He invites us into friendship with Him, but is, what is unique about friendship with the Lord of the universe that doesn't exist between my friendship with you, or any of my friends, or even my wife, is that this friendship with the Lord of the universe comes with certain conditions, with attitudes and actions that are fitting for that relationship. If you want to be my friends, obey my commands, not because He's this insecure schoolyard bully, because if you obey my commands, our relationship is going to be awesome. You and I get to do things in the world and see good fruit from good work. We'll get to play together. So we did yesterday. So much, so much freedom yesterday. We get to play together. We get to be the friends of the source of all joy. Your friend Jesus is the source of all joy. Obey Him. You get to be His friend. 
So what are the tactics that we have to enjoy this friendship? First, use technology primarily for one-on-one relationships in your life. So much of our technology now is, is used to kind of speak to everyone and no one at the same time. And I think that our technology, our phones, and social media has incredible potential, incredible tool to be a tool to, to bind us together and to, to make connections that will then last. I mean, there's so many, so many people who I'm able to, to connect with throughout the week through a one-to-one text and to say, hey, I'm thinking about you, I love you, how are you doing, how can I pray for you, that I couldn't do without that technology. So it's a great gift, but I encourage you that one of our tactics, this isn't like some major solution that's going to like change your whole life, but this is a small tactic that you can use to fill this longing for community by using technology for one-on-one relationships more than mass relationships. Secondly, is to pursue life in the church. By life in the church, I, I don't mean coming to church on Sunday morning. Christian community is not simply a once-a-week event where we come to this building, be polite to people around us, say some nice things, sing some good songs together, hear Pastor Ryan speak, or Luke, or Spencer, or whoever. That's the way that many people view what it means to go to church. And now, nobody here at Broadway, we've been trained well enough to know that that's not the right answer. But in some ways, it, it just is the way we think about life and participation of life in the church. Throughout the New Testament, it's assumed that life in the church is much more this or, these organic relationships where believers are living life side by side on a regular and ongoing way. So today... I told you this a while back, but uh, today, Tony Oakluger and I will give our 600th high five in a row. We've given each other a high five for 600 days in a row, starting January 2nd, 2019. No, <laughs> okay, sure, yeah, it's this is the This is the silliest thing that I've ever done in my life, and maybe the most important. One of the most important things. Tony and I see each other every day. And sometimes that is as casual as, hey, how you doing? I'm all the way to work. And sometimes we found ourselves confessing sin to one another, praying for something that's going on in, in our church. It's been regular and ongoing. And because of that, it's been life-changing. We planned to do it for a year, but on January 1st this year, we were like, why stop now? If you want to grow in Christ, you must be with other believers. To use the, the words from Acts chapter 2, um, you need to devote yourself to fellowship. That's, that's a strong word, to devote yourself. We, we think about devoting ourselves to Scripture. We think about devoting ourselves to coming to church on Sunday morning, devoting ourselves to prayer. They say they were devoted. This is like a heart move toward fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship. 
It's through those relationships that we grow in our relationship with Christ. Our Sunday morning gatherings are really important, and they're great moments for us to gather as a community, for us to have these moments like we had today where we uh, lifted up the name of Jesus and told stories about Him and remind ourselves of Him and to hear the opportunities of those who have the gifts of teaching to, to teach the church. It's an invaluable time. But this hour and a half cannot be your only connection to Christian community. If it is, you're in danger. You cannot live in the world, consume all of the, the media and movies and TV all week, and expect to come on Sunday morning and have your life then shaped by the gospel. I'm not that good a preacher. Nobody is. There's a force in the world that we are fighting against, and we need to invest and sow seeds that will reap a good harvest. And that's relationships with, with others. So I'm so grateful over the last two years, uh, the way that God has moved us into more intentional small groups as a way that we organize ourselves here at Broadway. I'm so grateful for SIMPS. Uh, two years ago when we started praying about it, I was like, you know, I think we should pray that at the end of 2019 that we should have eight more small groups. Or eight total small groups. And he's like, come on, Ryan, you can be better than that. I said, okay, how about ten? Ten. Ten more small groups. And at the end of last year, we had 18. Praise God for sense to calling me and our elders to think bigger than that. I'm just grateful that that has happened in that way. And we want to continue to invest in those and to see our small groups, and they've been so invaluable during this time, during the pandemic, to make sure that people are being connected. But I want to say to you that Sunday morning... And Wednesday evening in the small group also isn't enough. And I don't mean to be like keeping more things for you to do this week, but what I'm calling you to is to pursue friendships, pursue relationships with the people where you are having an ongoing interaction with brothers and sisters in Christ. And friends, this is hard work. They don't just come. It has to be intentional. I encourage you to eat together. Eat together around the table. If you feel comfortable right now being around a group with five or six people around the table, there is nothing like it to bring people together. Right now, like eating together is like this radical act, not just because of the pandemic, although that's part of it too, but just because people only like eat on the run. To sit down around a table and to look one another in the eye and to enjoy that meal together is like a radical revolutionary act these days. Do it. Third tactic for the battle. Pursue solitude. Not all time being alone is loneliness. And in order to experience real relationship with other people, we need to pursue silence and solitude with God. So I said here two things. Pursue community and pursue solitude. I want to suggest to you today that most of us avoid both of those because in both community and in solitude is where we encounter our real selves. In solitude, in quiet, do I have to listen to my own heart? Listen to what God has to say about my own heart and where 
my true self is revealed. And so I avoid that more often than I care to admit because I don't want to come face to face with my true self and to offer that self in relationship to God. I'd rather offer the self that I've made up, offer that to Him. And we avoid community for the same reason, because in community, our true self is revealed. We can fake it here on Sunday mornings for an hour and a half. It's really easy to do. But when we're in real relationship with people, eventually our true selves emerge. Katie knows, and she experiences the very best of Ryan and the very worst of Ryan. And she has to endure and enjoy both, because we're in a real relationship with one another. My kids get the worst of Ryan, and they get the best of Ryan. Because we're in real relationship with one another. That's where they, my true self comes out, in all of its ugliness and in all of the good that God has done. And we avoid both our solitude and our silence and our community, because we don't want our true selves to be revealed. But it is the true you and all of your ugliness that God wants to be in relationship with. Because in that relationship with the true Ryan, is we can actually do something with me. He can actually take me and make me who he wants me to be. It's not good for people to be alone. Friends, here's the truth. Jesus entered into our loneliness. He experienced the isolation from those closest to him in the garden who abandoned him when he needed their friendship the most. He had always been there for them, and in the moment when he needed them, they were asleep. And then on the cross, he bore the weight of all of the sin of the world on his shoulders, where he even felt abandoned by his father, who he had been in relationship from eternity past, as he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Felt the aloneness that all of us feel in our life. He entered into our mess and our brokenness. He didn't wait for the woman at the well, or Zacchaeus, or Matthew, or blind Bartimaeus to get it all together, put on their good clothes, put on their mask, and to be in relationship with them. He entered into their mess and into their brokenness, and he wants to do the same with you. He wants the real you, not the fake you, so that you, so that he can take that real you and the mess that it is. And to slowly, over time, as you are in relationship with him and other people, make you more and more like himself. He knows it's not good for you to be alone. He said it. And he designed you for relationship with him. And today is an invitation to come out from behind whatever mask you're wearing, whatever good clothes you've put on, to come out from hiding and to come to him truly, who you are. He loves you. And he wants you to learn what it means for you to be in relationship with him. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you designed us this way, that you want us in this way. When we have run really far from you, when we have disobeyed you, when we've 
done what we very well knew we shouldn't do. Lord, you are still waiting for us like that good father. I pray that you would give us the courage to, as that parable says, to come to ourselves and to realize where we came from and to turn around and to walk home. Lord, you know what that you know what that means for every person in this room. And so I pray that you would show each one of us how to come to ourselves and to turn around and to come home.